Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios. And today I'm joined by my podcast partner, Rachel Levin. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Good to be here, Michael. I'm pretty excited about today's episode because uh, you got to speak to none other than Ariana Huffington, career highlight. <laughs> that was cool, no doubt. But even more exciting is that you're back from your vacation. Tell me about uh, what you did. We haven't had a chance to talk yet. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was the first vacation in over a year and, and, and that we got to leave the Bay Area and go to the beach. And, and it was just, yeah, mind blowing. I mean, it was really important to take that time and be outside and kind of do something normal. And, you know, of course we were safe and stayed in an Airbnb and, you know, kept our distance, et cetera. But just that feeling of doing an activity that you've always done and enjoyed and taking that time was so important for the mental health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's what our episode is all about today, which is well-being, mental health, and bringing that to work and how you can make that a part of this new hybrid work world that we're going to be in. And one of the key ideas that is in the episode today is about this idea of micro steps, these little small things that you can do, 60 second kind of reset moments that you can do throughout the day that really help with this really ambiguous situation we're all in of figuring out this new way of working. Yeah, I think it's so important because when you try to change behavior and, and kind of do it in a radical way, it's overwhelming, you know, and a lot of times you say, you know what, these are my habits. It is what it is. But if you look at it in these kind of tiny little bite-sized chunks, I think it does. It, it makes it a lot more doable. So yeah, that was really useful information for me, <laughs> I can tell you. You know, and there's a lot of science behind this, which is behind a lot of the work that Thrive Global's doing right now. So we get some great insight into these micro steps and how we can think about using them uh, in this new hybrid work world. So let's take a listen to my conversation with Ariana Huffington, best-selling author, CEO and founder of Thrive Global, and Karen Mangia, Vice President of Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce and author of Working From Home, Making the New Normal Work For You. Ariana and Karen, welcome to Blazing Trails. So happy you can join us. It's great to be here. Lovely to see you, Ariana, and I love your dress. Thank you. I love your top or dress, whatever it is. We never know these days. Exactly. And Michael, you look great too. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ariana, I love the latest book from Thrive Global, Your Time to Thrive and Burnout, Increase Wellbeing and Unlock Your Full Potential with the New Science of Microsteps. So many good takeaways, and I especially loved what you wrote about waking up in the morning and the first thing that you did was check your cell phone and the impact that that had on you. You know, I'm guilty of doing the same thing, and I bet many of our listeners are. So tell us why this was such an aha moment for you. Well, how we start our day and how we end our day are sort of pretty critical to the day we have. And... Um, 72% of people start their day by going to their phone before they're fully awake, before their feet have hit the ground. So what we recommend at Thrive, and this is kind of one of my favorite out of our hundreds of micro steps for behavior change, is to take 60 seconds before you go to your phone, to be very intentional, to focus on your breath, to remember what you're grateful for, to simply get ready for the day. And as you said, Michael, be clear about what your priorities are as opposed to what the world wants of you, which is what our phone is full of. 
Absolutely. Starting the day, setting your intentions versus what others expect from you is a big mind shift when we have so much pressure to be productive. Karen, how is remote work changing our definition of what it means to be productive and successful? I think sometimes we get our relationship with success a little bit wrong. You know, we have these myths and misconceptions that success is the result of being always on and working all the time or that success, you know, if we just work hard enough, it will show up or it's the result of this perfect plan. And what this pandemic has offered us all is the opportunity to pause and to consider how we define success now. You know, as lots of extra activities and and maybe business busy work and some fringe friendships maybe have kind of faded away during this period of time, I think our opportunity is just to pause and consider what does success mean to us personally and professionally now so that we can put the routines, rituals, and boundaries in place like Ariana was referencing to help us access that success. And what I hear so many people sharing is they're discovering that it's not chaos that they're valuing that leads to success. It's really connection and creation and making sure we make room for that. Mm -hmm. And Ariana, how do you think this is going to change? I know you've been doing so much work around both from a company level and an individual level, how to operate in the world and think about that from an empathetic point of view. How is it going to change now in in a hybrid work world where as individuals, we're going to have to take so much more ownership of how we uh, conduct our day-to-day work life? So the one good thing uh, about the pandemic, and, you know, this was a, a, a period and it's ongoing of incredible losses, you know, losses of loved ones, financial losses, uncertainty, anxiety. The one good thing is that, as a Stanford economist put it, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity to use this crisis as a catalyst to redefine productivity based on all the latest science and also to redefine, as Karen said, what success is. I wrote a whole book on that, Thrive, which was about the fact that we've reduced success down to these two metrics of money and status, and we've identified status so much with busyness and being always on, that's kind of the badge of honor. We need to go back, really, to ancient wisdom that defined the good life as um, uh, being about much more than that, and certainly about including our well-being, wisdom, a sense of wonder about the mystery of life and giving back. So that for me is a complete life. And the forced pause of the pandemic has led to many of us looking at our lives in a deeper way and looking at uh, what is it that we want from life? What is it that we value? And what is it that we can say no to? And a lot of it has to do also with our addiction to our devices. So some of it is work-related and what is the hybrid world we're creating at work. Some of it is personal. How do we set boundaries ourselves? Because even if you have the perfect working environment, if you get back to your own life, whether you've been working remote or not, and you end up continuing to doom scroll on social media or binge watch Netflix, all night, you're going to wake up exhausted 
and get into that cycle of burnout. Speaking of burnout, Ariana, you talk a lot about the science of microsteps and how they're a key to avoiding it. Why are you so optimistic about microsteps and how can they help us achieve more balance? Well, the reason why I'm so optimistic is because we know from all the latest science that um, we all have this place of peace, calm, and wisdom, and strength, and resilience in us. You know, it's a birthright. So these microsteps help us reconnect with it. You know, nobody that I know lives in that place all the time. That's not the goal. Maybe there is a saint somewhere in the Himalayas, but for the rest of us, it's a question of how quickly can we course correct and get back to that place. And that's, uh, you know, frankly, why we've built up this whole uh, library of microsteps, hundreds of them, to help us and to make them, as we call it, too small to fail. Very small, actionable steps that lead to healthier habits. And when we know that, we give people not just the awareness of what they need to do, but um, ways to get there. And frankly, I left the Huffington Post to launch Thrive because I wanted to help people go from knowing what to do to actually doing it. Because now increasingly we have more and more people who know that sleep is foundational for our immunity and our mental health, who know, you know that eating too much sugar and processed foods is terrible for our health, that moving is important, et cetera, et cetera. But the question I was getting is, okay, how do I do it? I know that's important. How do I do it? So micro steps are really a way to get there. And that's why, as you heard, we are breaking it down into very small steps. Like in the morning, we don't say take 20 minutes to meditate. That may seem overwhelming. We say take 60 seconds before you go to your phone. You can build up to your 20 minutes. But if you say 20 minutes, You may do it for a week and then you stop and it's harder to get back on the water. Right. And do you find that that 60 seconds, I mean, it's shown in the science, but tell me a little bit more about how such a short period of time can be so impactful because it feels like it's not enough time to get to make something. Yeah, we have all this neuroscience that shows that it takes 60 to 90 seconds for the stress hormone cortisol to leave the body. So if you look at our lives, you know, stress is unavoidable. Cumulative stress is avoidable. And that's really what we are focusing on. Having this, what we call reset, 60-second resets throughout the day also between Zooms or Teams. So our uh, behavior change app at Thrive comes preloaded with the 60-second resets, a stretching reset, a gratitude reset, a breathing reset, but also with the opportunity to create your own reset. So Karen, who is a trained chef, for example, Karen, I'd love to see a reset from you of all the things you love to cook, which probably will bring you joy in the middle of a stressful day. Or, Michael, whatever it is that you love, you know, it could be kids, pets, quotes, music. In 60 seconds, it can really and amazingly shift us from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system and remind us of what we love about our lives. Mm-hmm. 
Karen, you have an idea around this five-minute fix. So this is a little longer than 60 seconds, but not a lot. Tell me about the five-minute fix. When I think about the five-minute fix, it's that micro step taken to another level. And I think about it as in any given moment, personally or professionally, we can pause and just assess, just ask ourselves what's working what's not working, and what's the smallest thing we can give ourselves permission to adjust. And what I love about what Ariana said and referencing food, for example, as a passion, I mean, I'm amazed. I love to host dinner parties. I love to prepare food for family and friends. And I can spend three days preparing an elaborate dish or I can prepare an appetizer, for example, that has three ingredients and takes five minutes to make. And people will always prefer the simplest dish. It fascinates (laughs) me. And part of it is, you know, in those moments, and maybe we need, you know, five minute snacks or the snack reset, and I can share some tips. But what I've noticed is 60 seconds or a five minute fix feels doable. We can all do the doable. And I like this and observe it in the context of teams and what happens at work when we say, could we take five minutes and give it back to everyone at the end of the meeting so we could have a break? Could we take five minutes to have someone share the 60 second reset they're doing and how it's working? I mean, everyone can participate in 60 seconds or the five minute fix because the barrier to entry is low and it's easy to adjust. The positive news is we build momentum, right? When it feels good and it's working, We've created upside, and when we feel that upside, we're motivated to keep going. And if it doesn't work as well, we all feel that it's easy to give ourselves permission to adjust something and try something new when what we've invested is somewhere between 60 seconds for a micro step or a reset or a five-minute fix. Mm-hmm. You know, and that takes us to what companies can do. I think you know, so much of our lives are given over to work, and we're so plugged in to our companies and company culture and and how that works. Ariana, you've talked about taking this time to seize a moment to rethink productivity, which is really, you know, tied to companies. How do we think about that? What does that look like to rethink productivity and how should companies be organizing differently around that? Well, we have uh, since really the industrial revolution been living under the collective delusion that in order to be really productive, we need to be always on. It really, frankly, goes back to our um, becoming kind of enthralled with machine. And the goal with machine is to minimize downtime. And the same with software. And uh, the truth is that as we know now from all the incredible science, Downtime for the human operating system is a feature, not a bug. So we need to base our redefinition of productivity on that fundamental scientific fact. You know, we all are so data-driven, but we've got the data wrong when it comes to how to be really productive. And we know there are diminishing returns. When we're always on, we become less productive, less creative, less empathetic, and all the additional skills. You know, I just wrote a piece about hybrid skills for a hybrid future because the truth is that all the skills that are even more important now about empathy, team building, collaboration, are the first to disappear 
when we are running on empty, when we are depleted and exhausted. So productivity in this big way of building the new hybrid workplace has to include all the values and uh, practices that augment our humanity as well as our performance. Yeah, and I see that you're building a mental resilience dashboard at Thrive right now. And uh, I'm curious what that's going to look like. What's it going to measure? We're always interested in dashboards at Salesforce. So uh, tell us a little more about that. Well, actually, <laughs> it was Mark Benioff's idea. He and I were talking and he said, the next thing we need is a mental resilience dashboard. And uh, as we are moving to make the employee experience so central to what every company is doing, you know, the way Salesforce, of course, made the customer success experience so central, uh, the employee experience is going to be more and more central right. in terms of the bottom line and business metrics. But the C-suite doesn't have one dashboard to look at where are their people in terms of burnout, in terms of productivity, in terms of resilience. And so we are building this dashboard to be able to give not just the HR department, but C-suites and boards, an immediate look into where their most valuable resource, their people are at any moment and be able to compare region with region, department with department and take steps to improve. Quite often there's still time. You know, I, I love to think of everything in a preventive way. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, our, our Thriving Mind program on mental health that we launched at Salesforce is all based on identifying stress triggers before they become depression and anxiety. It's obviously important when they become depression and anxiety, but the earlier we can um, catch them and bring in micro steps to correct, the better. You know, it's interesting. I wonder if we're heading coming out of the pandemic into a, a period. I think Jamie Dimon just released that letter that talked about, hey, things are going to boom. This is going to be a, a boom time coming up. Are we going to see a commensurate boom in happiness, well-being? Do you think that this will sustain or is this more of the moment now when we're thinking about it and as things change, that it may become less of an imperative? Well, it's up to us, Michael. That's a very good question. You know, we have people who often change their lives after a a terrible health diagnosis. They're going to remission. They make all these promises how they're going to live their lives differently. And within a few weeks or months, they're back to uh, how they were living before. I think we need to support each other. That's where community is so key. I thrive. Uh, a very important part of behavior change is accountability bodies mm-hmm. and uh, communities of friends, family to support each other. Otherwise, we can go back to everything that has not worked, everything that has led to where we were pre-pandemic, skyrocketing re- increases in uh, diseases like diabetes and hypertension and mental health crisis. So we don't want to go back. We want to go forward. Right. You know, and Karen, you've written about the idea of teams thinking about 
individual ownership and outcomes, both individually and within you know teams within organizations. How is this going to be different in a hybrid world? I think the way that teams are going to interact and the way that that's going to happen is, and the way you're going to be heard is going to be really different. How should we be thinking about that? We have a perception, I think, that we're holding that when people can't physically be together in person, that we're getting a weaker signal, you know, about what people care about or how they're doing or what it takes to stay aligned. And I think we need some new tools and new language and a new mindset about how to stay aligned and to borrow a phrase from Mariana about how we can all thrive in this time. And outcomes are such a powerful way to anchor your team and the people that you work with in the expectation and in what's possible without getting so caught up in that productivity loop that says success is being always on, which theoretically means you're productive. And the question I would raise is to what end? I could spend all day, like anyone listening could, uh, attending podcasts or responding to email messages or attending to social media posts or responses. Mm -hmm. Is that an outcome that my boss or my team is counting on me to deliver? Is that my greatest value? Mm -hmm. And when I think about stepping back and speaking in terms of outcomes, what can come with that is revisiting the line on ownership. You know, when I think about bosses that I've had over time that have said things to me like, you know, we're really trying to build a new way to listen to our customers. That's the outcome we're going for. And I trust you to own that. Come back to me in a few weeks with a plan. You know, I feel empowered. I understand what I need to deliver. I know I can access the support if I need it and draw on people around me. But I'm clear that the outcome, my greatest value it is what I'm going to deliver relative to that outcome for the team and for the company and for the customers. And something that's so critical along the way that Ariana highlighted about the power of data and tools is for us to be able to hear from our employees on a real-time basis about how they're doing. Mm -hmm. Not just waiting for that employee pulse survey that might come out once a quarter or every six months. Mm -hmm. I think I found in working with my team during this time that I've had to be much more intentional and deliberate about conversations and expectations and clarity around that because you feel like you're out on an island a little bit and you're not going to get those sort of hallway conversations and the stuff that happens in an office. So you just have to say, here's exactly what I want to talk about right now because the time is so defined. And I feel like that's been a, a positive overall in terms of uh, promoting the kind of conversations you're talking about. Karen, do you think that's going to continue in, in terms of how managers relate to their teams? It's all about being, I think, an orchestrator of outcomes and also a connector, mm -hmm. right? People are at their best when they feel a sense of belonging and community, you know, and are having the opportunity to try new things. And so when I think about, you know, what these manager and employee and team mm -hmm. touch points look like, I think they're evolving, right? This can be less about the you know immediate project update, right? That might be something that we could handle in a different way than in a meeting. And really those times where we come together as a team are an opportunity to do some innovation, you know, to check in on what's working, what's not working, maybe launch something new. And it's really just rethinking, I think, how we relate to one another at our most human level mm -hmm. and how we connect. 
you know, and Ariana, you've talked about companies needing to embed well-being, you know, as a foundation into developing these human skills inside of organizations, which is is so important and something we haven't thought a lot about. I feel like how can companies start to be more human-led and think about that where everybody in the organization is acting that way. You know, there's a lot of information about people don't leave companies, they leave managers, they leave individual relationships. How can companies help set up each one of those relationships to be more human-led and more successful? Well, I think it starts with recognizing that while the pandemic has dramatically accelerated digital transformation to the point where digital transformations are now table stakes, you know, you can't be a thriving company without clear technology, infrastructures, workflows, etc. What we are realizing now is that you can't also be a thriving company without foundational human values that are embedded in your culture. And that's much easier said than done. And uh, there are a few elements that we bring to all the companies we're working with, for example, around building a culture that we call the immune system of the company. And uh, it starts with uh, our number one cultural value, which is compassionate directness. One of the hardest things in companies is people have a hard time being direct. They back-channel grievances and complaints, and that is the most toxic thing you can do in a company because when people sit on complaints and frustrations and grievances, which are inevitable in any company, there is no opportunity to solve them. So compassionate directness is key. The combination, the connection between well-being and a culture of diversity and inclusion is also very important because diversity and inclusion is not just about numbers. It's about a culture of belonging. And to build a culture of belonging, you have to start with people's hearts and you cannot mandate that. And in order for people to be able to be more giving and more empathetic, they need to have renewed and recharged themselves so they are not running on empty. So all these connections are now key. And that's why uh, we are recognizing that the human skills are going to be the most important part of the new hybrid world we are building. The human skills have to become part of any reskilling. Whenever I read about reskilling, reskilling, upskilling, and it doesn't include skills of resilience, skills of empathy, I feel that they're really missing the point. If you're just teaching people IT skills or coding skills, and you don't teach them how to deal with the constant unprecedented change that's here and that's continuing, how to deal with obstacles, how to deal with the uncertainty of our times, it's going to be very hard to be the most productive and the healthiest employees that you need to create a thriving culture. Right. I mean, I think if you're thinking about skills in that way, it's taking it back to industrial revolution type thinking. You know, this is how you operate this machine and need to produce this many widgets in this much time. That Technology and automation is going to take care of a lot of that. And, and I think it's going to be so much about how we relate to each other and how we can help each other be successful. And I think this idea between taking it all the way down to an individual relationship between team members or a manager and a team member and 
expanding that through a whole company culture is fascinating. And is that sort of where Thrive is living right now in trying to break it down all the way to that level that then goes across a whole company? Is that core to the idea? Yes, absolutely. And I think the whole company is very important. We are working with Walmart, for example, with their 2.2 million associates, both those who have the privilege to be able to work from home right now, but also with the majority who are frontline workers working from stores. I think this whole well-being conversation has to be expanded to include workers in stores, workers in factories. And um, this is going to be also a very important element of our healthcare conversation. Because we have found that with these micro steps, these better choices that we bring through the app to the store associates at Walmart, we have had medical results like reversing diabetes or uh, people no longer having to take their hypertension medication, even though everything we're doing is behavioral intervention. So I think that's really what we're learning, that a lot of the... um, diseases that are plaguing us at the moment, like diabetes and hypertension, are lifestyle diseases. And being able to deal with stress and burnout is going to have a huge impact on these trajectories. You know, and turning that around, Karen, we were talking prior to the interview about being heard and contributing in this hybrid environment, which is is going to be different and, and challenging. Tell us a little bit more about the idea of how to get your opinion across and how to send that message back to management or to your colleagues in this environment? Well, just like we've been talking about kind of the accountability partner as being you know, key to a lifestyle change, like Ariana was sharing earlier, I think about what happens when we tap into our skill to sort of co-create and share our voice together. And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it can be a little bit frightening right? We get a little bit stuck when we think about speaking up for something that's important to us or saying something that we feel like might be counter to the status quo. And, you know, a couple of things I I think make a really big difference. First of all is managers asking some new questions like, who have we not heard from yet? What might we be missing from this conversation, right? Inviting people to have an opportunity to speak up. I think this is also where the tools are so powerful, right? The opportunity to hear from people, not just in a live team meeting or conversation or in a one-on-one, but tapping into some of those tools and collaborative documents so that we're making space for everybody to have an opportunity to be heard and seen. And then I think the extension of of what we've been talking about is, is all about the power of choice, right? Deciding to speak up and advocate for what we need is a choice, right? Deciding what mixture of what we're going to allow with people being in the office or working from home or, you know, what's going to happen with the lifestyle changes that we're choosing to be well, those are all choices. And those choices exist in this present moment, not in the way we used to do things or, you know, punishing ourselves for getting into the place of not being well to begin with, which happens so often, and not worrying about the future, but really working together right now to create choices and assess what's the best choice that we can make individually and collectively that moves us toward either the outcome perhaps we're trying to deliver as a business or the outcome we're trying to realize as human beings, right? To live well and work well and be well. Mm -hmm. There's that moment 
when you feel like, okay, I can contribute to this conversation. And maybe you're sitting in a conference room and you will be in the future or you're on a Zoom call, but you're just unsure and you're feeling a little bit unsure about putting yourself out there. I love this idea of taking it in the form of a question and asking for others' input to bring in those ideas. And I think that speaks so much to the empathy there and the active listening of being able to take your idea, put it in the form of a question, put it out there and let others respond. That's going to move things forward. So that's a great tip. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Karen and Ariana. I hope we can do this again soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Karen. Great to be with you. That was Ariana Huffington, best-selling author, founder of The Huffington Post and CEO of Thrive Global, and Karen Mangia, Vice President of Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce. Be sure to check out the latest book from Thrive Global, Your Time to Thrive, End Burnout, Increase Wellbeing, and Unlock Your Full Potential with the new science of microsteps. So thanks for listening today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. <laughs>